0: Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. I normally let you sit down, but I'm going to be reading the scripture right away, so we might as well just stay standing. Uh, we are in the uh, book of Galatians, so glad you're here this morning. Um, and, and we've been studying about the fact that, that Paul is talking to the churches, talking to them about the fact that um, they, are, they are starting to follow a different gospel, Like many churches today, they're not following a gospel based upon faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And he's telling them that you are following a way that's going to lead to destruction. We're in the book of Galatians. We're at the end of chapter 4, starting with verse 21. Let me read it, and then we'll get into looking at what Paul is telling the church and in process explaining to us. It says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law... But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. What does the scripture say? Cast off the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you, Father, that we are not in slavery. We are not in slavery to our sins, but we have been forgiven and and we are free. We are not of the old covenant, we are of the new covenant. We are not of Hagar, we are of Sarah. Lord, as your word is spoken and we hear it, Lord, may our hearts open May our eyes see. May the eyes of our heart hear what you're saying so we can understand and our lives will not only be changed but be enriched by the power of your word. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. You know, we all want to be free. The world, all over the world, people are longing for freedom. I was just watching, I was watching a news program this morning when I got up and I was eating my breakfast about uh, what's going on in Australia and the lockdowns that are happening there. And, and it really makes me glad I don't live in Australia. And I, loved, I would love to live in Australia. But they're struggling with freedom. There are people on our southern borders who are crossing the border, risking their lives, walking through the desert, almost drowning, in order to experience the freedom that I think you and I at times take for granted. The last few years, if anything, and I'm afraid the next few years ahead of us, is going to show us the delicate nature of our freedom. And I wonder how free we really will be in the next three to five and ten years from now. But the reality is that the freedom that you and I experience in our country is not really freedom. It's not true freedom. If it was, it couldn't be taken away. The only really true freedom is biblical freedom if we don't follow the teachings of the Bible, we are in reality enslaved to the sin in our lives. It rules us. And this is how Jesus put it when he was talking in John, in the book of John. Chapter 8, he says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. So these were Jews who believed in him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word, if you know my word, which is the truth, it's the truth of the word of God that sets us free. But I'm afraid also that just as we take the freedom that's granted to us by the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution, I'm I'm afraid that that we have a tendency to forget these words of Jesus about the freedom, where true freedom comes from. We'll say that we love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. I love to read the Word of God. I love to go back. I love to find out new things about it all the time. And, and, And I read a lot about history in God's word, but when it comes to doing what it says, we talk a good talk, but we don't always do what it says. That's one of the reasons why Paul's saying, "If you if you if you want to listen to the law, what is it saying? What is the word of God saying to us? Well, I don't like it. I don't like what it says, so I'm not going to follow it." then you're still a slave to your sin. See, we say we want to obey the law, but we ignore its teaching. And, And Paul is adamantly trying to lead the Galatians church and us back to the word of God, back to the Bible. In our, in our study of progressive Christianity, one of the first things they do, a progressive church will do, is attack the Bible. Let's attack the historicity of the Bible. Let's, talk, let's attack the relevance of the Bible. If they can knock that off from underneath us, we have nothing to stand on. We can't. We must go back to the Bible, to the historical um, context of the Bible. And Paul is adamantly trying to say, look to the law. What does it say? You want to follow the law? Then you better read it and you better know it. There are churches who claim to be Christian today and they've reinterpreted the Bible. They say, well, we know more than the early church knew about the Bible. And I'm like, geez, I don't know. I I think I would believe the disciples of Jesus' disciples, what they thought, before I believe what somebody at a university thought. We have writings from the disciples of the original apostles. And I would think that if they were saying something wrong, if the disciples were, um, I think John would have had a few things to say to his disciples who are not teaching the correct doctrine. But there are churches who think that we know better than they knew. And so they take it out of its historical context. And what Paul is doing, he's giving this stinging rebuke at the beginning of our verses today, that could well be directed at us and at the churches today. But I have to wonder, what is worse? Is it worse to not believe something and do something different, or is it worse to actually know that this is the truth and still not follow it? And I think in the church today, we we run this danger of knowing this is the Word of God. This is how we are to live. And though it makes us uncomfortable in our society today, we need to follow God's Word instead of what the world says. But We have a tendency to follow the world. And in their desire for the early church, for these Galatians, for their desire to be faithful to Scripture, the Galatians are ready to embrace circumcision. Not something I would embrace if I didn't have to. But in the process, they, they, they don't understand What is at the true heart of what the Bible teaches? You go back through Scripture, and if you really look at it, it has always been salvation by faith and faith alone. No works ever saved anyone. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Why did Enoch, why was he taken up? Why was he raptured before his death? It was because he, he walked with God. That just doesn't mean he took a stroll with God. That means he believed everything God said and followed him and did what God wanted. And if you go back actually through the old history that we have, um, dealing with like Josephus even further back, some of the writings of the old Jewish rabbis, you'll learn that he was not just he didn't just walk with God he preached God there's there's a part in some ancient writings that says that that Noah and Methuselah preached for 120 years against sin and not a single person converted how many of us would do something for that long and not have any results They they knew they believed in God. It's always been about faith. It has never been anything different. It's about faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. But these Galatians are just they want to believe something different. And I don't think that we are much better. Verse 22, Paul begins to use this idea, this idea of of how how is it possible? What What are our choices for salvation? Well, the first one is by human means. Because he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through a promise. And he even says, this is allegorical. Means this means this is comparing. This is looking at that and comparing it to where we are today. These women are two covenants. One is Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. And Paul is using this story to illustrate how we become part of God's family. Both Isaac and Ishmael were children of Abraham. They were both his blood relation. But they had different mothers. See, Abraham had been promised by God that he would have an heir. Now, Abraham was extremely old, and so was Sarah. She was way past childbearing age. But God had promised, I will give you a son. Count the stars you, if you can. And that's how many heirs you're going to have. The, you'll have more heirs than the sands On the seashore. What an amazing promise. And and so God is telling him this. And so Abraham is having faith. He believed God was going to do that. But, you know, God doesn't always work in our time. Don't you wish that God would say, okay, you say, okay, God, I got on Tuesday. I've got this schedule. So could you do what you need to do at like four o'clock? Wouldn't that be better? That'd be better for me. See, God's timing is different. So what happens is he and Sarah begin to doubt. There's nothing wrong with doubt. We'll talk about that in our Sunday school class today. There's nothing wrong with doubt if it's directed correctly. The problem is is that they doubted, and they decided to try to do something their own way. They wanted, you know, God's not doing it, so how about we take care of it? We, We can do this. There's another way. So Sarah gets impatient and gives Hagar, who's her, his, her Egyptian servant, to Abraham to be his wife. So that she can have children. Now you know. All of us guys sitting here know. That's just trouble brewing. Right? That's just crazy. Who would ever think to do that? Well, it's a cultural thing. They did do that. That's not what God wanted. But they did do that. In the cultures of that time. To our 21st century mind, this seems kind of ridiculous. But don't we grow impatient with God while we wait? We want him to act immediately. And when things don't happen according to our schedule, it kind of makes us doubt a little bit. You know, Ecclesiastes says that he has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity in the hearts of men. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. See, we, God has made everything beautiful in his time. There is a time for everything. God has everything planned out perfectly. And he has put eternity in our hearts so we know there's something outside of us. There's something, a big, much bigger picture going on. We talked about that when we talked about the unseen realm and what's going on in the spirit world and the, and the struggles and the battles. And we're all just part of this little battle between good and evil, waiting for the final time when Christ comes back and, the, and he gets his kingdom here. And we're all part of that. God's timing is perfect and it happens as he wants it to happen. But we struggle with that. We doubt it because the timing doesn't seem right. Even even in the New Testament, in Peter, Peter's talking. He says in Second Peter three, he says they will say, "Where is the promise of his coming?" People will say, "You know, Jesus hasn't come back yet. Where is he coming?" He said he was going to come. He hasn't come back yet. It's been almost two thousand years. Where is he? But see, we we think of time differently. It says, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Yes, they are. And if you look from the beginning of creation to now, nothing has really changed. Man is still evil. We're, st- we're still doing the same stupid things and the evil things that they did back then. We have gone back. We are going back to where we were before. Except now we have hope because we have Christ. Christ. He says, For they deliberately over this look this fact that everything has been going on since the beginning, that the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water, which means that was Noah's flood, and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that what the Lord, to the Lord one day is a, as a thousand years. Now some people have gone and say, well, okay, so we take each year, we take each day, that's a thousand years so we can calculate when Jesus is going to come back. No, that's not what that means. It means that God does not count time like we do. There is no time in eternity. People ask me, they'll ask me a lot of times, what's it going to be like when we die? Oh, I say, I don't think we're going to understand time at all. I think those that have gone before us, when we finally meet them, it'll be like hardly any time has passed at all. They don't deal with time in eternity. We do. So we have to understand that God has put eternity in hearts knowing that there's something different out there and we've got to trust Him. That His timing is perfect. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises as some count slowness. I wish my family would speed up what they do. You know? We just came back from vacation. And, you know, I'm one of these people, I get ready like that. Not my family. And I love them for it. It's okay. But my timing and their timing is different. Now, if I can understand that, and I can have patience for that, which is the the trick. It's the, the thing we need to do why can't I understand God's timing? He is much more wiser than me and my family. So if I can have patience for people, if I can drive down the road and be behind somebody and not lose my cool because they're driving too slow, why don't I have that same patience for God? I can't, we don't count slowness the same. now, imagine this i imagine I can imagine God getting frustrated with me because i 'm slow compared to him it 's like why does he why does he keep doing this? Well, he knows and he loves me anyways now that 's patience. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, thank goodness, not wishing that any should perish. Be careful. That does not say that nobody will perish. It says that God wishes that all would come to faith, but not all will. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to salvation. But that all should reach repentance. See, what we have here with Sarah and Hagar, we have two different covenants, as Paul says. We have the Old Covenant, which if you were under the Old Covenant, in order to become part of the people of God, it was done through genealogy. You were either born Jewish or you converted to Judaism. Now, the process of converting through Judaism meant that you had to follow all the Old Testament laws and you must be, if you were a male, you must be circumcised. Read in Scripture about the stories of when older men were circumcised. It usually took three or four days to recover. Not something you do, oh yeah, no problem, I'll go, no big deal. They didn't have anesthetic, okay? Well, they might, but it was usually a rock on the head to knock you out. <laughs> or a club. But that's how you become a child of God. That's how you become part of a, the Jewish family. Was You had to convert, declare allegiance to God... And you went through a baptism process, a bikva, as they called it. And then you were circumcised, no matter what your age. It was through human initiative, through the flesh. And this is what the Judaizers are telling the Galatian church they must do. In order to become part of the church, become part of God's family, you must be circumcised. And then you must follow all the laws. And I'll be honest with you, that's what, some, what many in the word of faith and the progressive churches are telling people today. Not that they have to be circumcised. But, you know, in order to be saved, you must speak in tongues. In order to be saved, you must be doing miracles. You must be doing healings. In order to be saved and to be righteous, you must do a seed offering. <laughs> you must buy my book. I don't have a book, by the way. You must buy my book. Buy my program. It's works. It's salvation by works. And it's not even true salvation because it doesn't work. Because salvation is by what? Faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. See, the problem with human initiative is that it gives you human results. Makes sense? Sinful human beings will not reproduce more, will not reproduce more and more righteous people. A sinful human being produces a sinful human being. We, when we are born, we're born into sin. It's the, the original sin. We're all sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone who's born is a sinner. We all need redemption. Luckily, we have Christ who did it for us. So when we, become, we get to the point where we can understand that, we have a choice to make. Do we accept, do we accept his forgiveness? Do we accept his propitiation or his atonement? Another big attack of the, of the progressive church is atonement. They want to attack the atonement. Atonement's not needed because you're not a sinner. Geez, I don't know. I have a look all through the New Testament where it says we're all sinners. There's no one who's good. No one does what's right. Paul insists that the old covenant, the way of the flesh, the salvation by works, only produces children of slavery. Because true freedom can only come through a divine initiative. The only way that you and I can be saved was because God took the penalty. Our founding fathers understood this when they wrote the Declaration of Independence. Here's what it says. In case you don't know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Which means those rights cannot be taken away because they were given to us by God. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, the pursuit of it doesn't mean you're going to be happy. <laughs> the pursuit of it. We have the right to pursue happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Our founding fathers knew our rights, our freedom, only comes from God. That's it. Now The question is, are we going to preserve our freedom? Because spiritually, we preserve our freedom by relying on the promises of God. And I'm not talking about life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I'm talking about our freedom from the slavery to sin. Uh, we, we, we keep that. We, we build upon it. We preserve it. But not because of our intelligence. Not because, not because I know all these Bible verses and can quote them and, and, and memorize them. That doesn't save us. That's man-made again. It's not by intelligence. It's not by our creativity. It's not by our power. In fact, when we attempt to take our spirituality into our own hands, we're actually forfeiting our freedom for an act, for a work. Salvation, grace, it's free. It's a gift given to us. We have to just accept it. But see, if we trust God's promises and we entrust ourselves into his hands, we can walk in freedom. During, this, during these last two years, I, I've told people, what are you afraid of? Don't be afraid of what can kill the body. Be afraid of the one who can condemn your soul to hell forever. I'm, if I'm going to get COVID, I'm going to get COVID. I had it, by the way. If I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. And I'm not going to be stupid, as I said at the beginning of all this, and go around licking doorknobs. But I'm, I'm gonna be smart. I'm not gonna let it rule my life. I'm not gonna be afraid because I am free in Christ. What God has planned, God will have happen. I gotta trust him. He has promised me that no matter what happens, I'm gonna be with him. No matter what happens, he's going to take care of me. And he'll let me, he'll get me through whatever he gets me through. There were times I had a week of really high fever. There were times I'm like, okay, God, take me now. This is terrible. He's like, no it up. This is your time of rest. And I slept, and it was great. <laughs> but we have to rely upon His promises. We can't take things into our own hands. So how do, we, how do we rely upon divine instead of human initiative? How do we do that? How do we actually rely upon it? Well, we do this by looking at the promises of God and trusting in them. It's not just about reading your Bible. It's not just about going and saying, okay, what does God promise? You know, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, great. Makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. But what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that Jesus is always at my side, He's, he's never going to leave me. So, he's going to help me through. Uh, you know, well, no temptation has, has come upon you that's not common to man. And he's always going to provide a way out of that temptation. Does that mean I won't be tempted? No, that means I will be tempted. But he's going to provide a way for me to not fall for it. So, I have to know he's walking with me, and I understand that he's following with me, and he, he gives me the ability to overcome all temptation. That's relying on the promises of God and not on myself. How do we know? How do we know that we're relying on his promises? And this is the hard one. When I was thinking about how do, we, how do I know that I'm actually trusting his promises? Well, how we wait. If I am, this doesn't happen to us on Sunday morning, but just let, me, let me use this as an example. Let's say that it's Sunday morning, we're all getting ready for church, and we're usually the first ones here, and I want to get here early. So what do I do? I get all ready, and I go out and I sit in the car and I wait for the family to come. Right? And I patiently wait, right? Blow the horn a few times, start the engine, start to pull out. No, I don't do that because I know my family's going to take longer. We have two kids. It's going to take... And my wife is the one who usually gets them up and going. So what can I do? I can get them going for her. I can help them move a little quicker. I can fix their breakfast for them. I can make sure that Caleb's got his shirt buttoned right. He's a boy. You never know, right? Don't ask me to make sure that his shirt matches his pants because I'm a guy. I don't understand those things. But see, it's how we wait for God which shows whether or not we are relying on his promises. How am I waiting? Am I patiently waiting for God? Am I looking for the things he wants me to do? Because God doesn't always just want us to sit there and not do anything while we're waiting for him. Sometimes there's things he wants us to do. He wants us to do things for him while we're waiting. One of them is sharing the gospel. We're all waiting for Christ to come back, right? What are we supposed to do in the process? Share the gospel with whoever we can, in and out of season. Be ready at all times to say the reason for what you believe. I'll give you another example. What happens when somebody does something wrong to you? What if somebody hurts you? What's your first impulse? Revenge? I'll get him. I'll get them good. Right? But see, Scripture instructs us that we need to take a different path. Romans 12:19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourself. Never avenge yourself. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You're like, well, that's Paul. Some people don't like Paul. Well, what about, what does Jesus say? Back in Matthew 5, he says, You have heard what is, it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love our enemies. So that person does something wrong to you, you're to love them. You're to pray for them. You're not to pray that their car runs off the road or that they have a lot of trouble. You're supposed to pray good things for them. We're not supposed to take vengeance ourselves. We're supposed to allow God to take care of it because vengeance is God's job, not ours. God's vengeance is both sobering and liberating. I don't have to worry about it. And believe me, as many of the ways my crazy mind can think of ways to get vengeance on somebody, God's is so much better. And not that I find pleasure... Believe me, if my enemies, if God does take vengeance on my enemies, it breaks my heart. Why? Because here's a lost soul. Somebody who doesn't know Christ. And my goal is for all that I cross my paths, whether enemy or friend, to know Jesus. I have people in my family that are not living the lives they should. And it breaks my heart. Because I want them to. So I have to set the example. I'm not going to give you details now because it's still difficult in my mind to deal with. But I've had to confront and I've had to, to love beyond what I thought was capable. Because... My goal is that they finally see the error of their ways and come to Christ. Not to avenge myself, but to show them love See, what we need to do is we need to be patient. We need to lay things at the foot of the cross and entrust ourselves to the creator of the world who is faithful and who promises ultimately to correct every wrong and and put everything in its perfect place. One day we will understand all of this. For now, we have to understand we just have to trust him because he sees way beyond what we can. Paul goes on and he, he says, we, we, you know, he's talking about how we need to rejoice in the power of God in, in, in verse 25 of Galatians 4. He says, now, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. He's talking about the Jerusalem at that time, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, he's talking about heaven is free, and she is our mother, for it is resi- re- written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, You who are not in labor... For the children of the desolate one will be made more than those of the one who has a husband. See, what what God was going to do in Sarah was the impossible. It was impossible for Sarah to have children normally. It was impossible for for Abraham and Sarah to consummate, or not even consummate, but to to basically have sex and have children. It would not happen. It wasn't Abraham's fault. It might have been, but it was also Sarah's fault because she was very old. She was past the childbearing age. God was going to do something amazing. And if we, like the Galatians, want to preserve our freedom in Christ, we need to keep something else in mind. It's what the prophet Isaiah says, and Paul quotes it in verse 27. See, during the time of Isaiah, the Israelites are in in captivity. They're in exile, scattered among the nation. But what does God do? He promises to one day cure the barrenness and cause Israel to be reborn. In fact, they're going to be reborn in such a way that they could never dream of. They're going to be called back to Israel. And one day they're going to become a nation, which they did. A day was coming when Israel would flourish spiritually. That day is still coming, by the way. And the day came with the dawning of the church. And it's still happening. It continues through the belief of the Galatians and through to us today. You understand that the the promises that were made in the book of Isaiah is being fulfilled now in the church and will ultimately be fulfilled in the Jews. I'm not talking about replacement. We're we're not replacing Israel. In fact, God's going to bring all of us together. All the Jews who end up believing in Christ, and all of us who are Gentiles who believe in Christ—it's God drawing from the nations all those who will believe in Him. We talked about that during the un- when we talked about the unseen realm. That's the ultimate goal. God is including the Gentiles, which the Jews would never have thought would happen. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be difficulties in our lives, difficult situations that make us think that we're, we're trapped. There's no way out. How are we going to get out of this? I'm sure that thought has crossed many of our minds in the last two years. How are, how are we finally, are we ever going to go get back to what was normal? Are we ever going to get to that point where things are where they need to be, where they should be? I don't know. I'll be honest with you, I don't think we'll ever get back to that again. I think we're too far gone. We've felt helpless and trapped. And many of us in our lives and in our situations feel helpless and trapped. But see, our God is more powerful than any virus, than any mandate, and anything else our government and the evil world wants to throw at us. He is more powerful than that. He spoke the world into existence. Now, if you want to argue evolution, that's fine. We can argue it. Whatever you want to believe is fine. But I know what the Word of God says. He spoke. It happened. So we have to rejoice in the power of our God. Because He can bring something out of nothing. If you had told the early church before Saul was on the Damascus road that there was going to be a man who's persecuting you and he's going to become an apostle to the Gentiles, they would have told you you were crazy. But Jesus did it. He did it. Paul, who's writing this, he is proof of it. We have to rejoice in the power of our God who brings us what we need and who causes the barren to give birth. Because see, what happens is is when we don't rejoice in the power of God, when we don't rejoice in what God has done and what he has promised and what he is doing, when we don't look at his promises and live by them, we have a tendency to try to do it upon our own power. We get impatient and we want to make decisions on our own and we want to do things by our own ability because I know I can get it done. And there may be times when God wants me to get it done and I need to listen to him and he'll tell me. I'll know. But there are times I need to just wait on him. We we don't want to find ourselves rushing towards things and end up in a dead end. Look. Look at what Abraham and Sarah did. You want to know why we have such a struggle in the Middle East right now? It goes back to that moment when she said, here... Take Hagar, my servant, as your wife. That began the struggles in the Middle East. Now, understand, God uses it, He let it happen, and He uses it for His glory and ultimately will. This is all part of His plan. But that created the struggle. Don't run headlong into a dead end just because you want to see something done. We find ourselves rushing towards it. We don't want to. We have to rely on the promises of God and rejoice that he is a miracle-working, life-giving king. Now Paul ends these verses by telling them what they need to do. And what they need to do is they need to root it out. I'm going to read it to you again. He says, now you brothers, like Isaac, so he's comparing them to Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So, what happens is um, Hagar and, and Ishmael were persecuting, were, were picking on Isaac. Because Isaac, uh, Ishmael was the firstborn in reality. But he wasn't the one that God had chosen. And he says, so also it is now. Which means, he's saying, the Judaizers are picking on you. The Jews are picking on you. Don't let it happen. He says, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but we are children of the free woman. So what happens is, Abraham Goes or Sarah goes to Abraham and says, you've got to do something about this. And he's like, woman, what do you want me to do? She says, get rid of her. Cast her out of the camp. Hmm. Cast her out. See, in order for us to preserve our freedom in Christ, the third point we need to consider, and it seems somewhat startling, is we need to root out whatever is enslaving us in order to preserve our freedom. Abraham had to throw Hagar and Ishmael out of the camp. Now, do you think that was easy for him to do? He loved Ishmael. And I imagine he loved Hagar, too. But he had to throw her out. Now, luckily, God said, it's okay, go ahead and do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of them, too. I'm going to take care of them. In fact, Ishmael becomes the leader of 12 nations, very similar to the Jews. Again, you, you you can see the the similarity and why and why there's so many problems in the Middle East today. See, if the Galatians and in turn all believers in Christ, all of us are serious about being biblical, and if we listen to what the law tells us, then we would hear what Sarah says to do with her, to Hagar, cast her out. It sounds extremely unkind. Considering it was Sarah who put Hagar in this place to begin with. But God's ways are not our ways. And if we read a little further in the story, we find that God has a plan. Now, what Paul's pointing to is that there's sibling rivalry in the flesh between the children of the flesh, which is the world, and the children of the promise, which is believers, which are believers in Christ. We have, you think, you wonder why we're struggling today? Is because, and why it's going to get worse? Believe me, it's just begun. The church is going to be persecuted more and more and more. Uh, there were at least, um, this week, there were at least two more pastors who were arrested in Canada for having the churches open. It could happen here. I'm not telling you what we would do, but we'd decide to do the right thing, whatever that is. But understand, persecution is happening. There's always this conflict between the world and between the church, partly because there's this conflict between good and evil. There's a conflict between, the, between Satan, between the fallen sons of God, and between God and his counsel. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to my sermon series on the Unseen Realm or read a book called Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser. There's a rivalry going on. It goes back to the time of Abraham and, goes, and his two sons. It continues today. Actually, from what I've been reading about um, ancient, really ancient history from pre-flood, it goes back to before, to the sons of Cain against the sons of Seth. There was a constant battle, constant struggle. Paul makes this point in verse 29. But just as that, at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him, was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. And this is why Nicodemus says you must be born again. We are all born of the flesh. We must be born again of the Spirit. These verses that Paul is using and this history confirms that there will always has been and always will be animosity between the children of the world and the children of the Spirit. We are opposed to each other. And it will not be resolved until Christ returns again to judge the children of the flesh. So for now, there's only one remedy to our problem. We must root out the Judaizers. The, church, the Galatian church must root out the Judaizers. Church discipline is called for and essential to the preservation of the faith that the Galatians have. Church discipline is never easy, but it must occur. But this also calls for us personally for spiritual self-discipline We have to root out of the church and out of ourselves those things that have us enslaved. we got this weird idea that we can live on both edges of a knife. We can't. It's very heart-rending work, but we must root out the sin in our lives. We must have personal, spiritual self-discipline. Those sins that entangle us, we need to set aside. We must cast our works of the flesh out so that, that so easily entangle us and lead us down these paths that ultimately will lead us away from Christ. See, being biblical, truly biblical, is the only sure path to freedom. And if we fail to hear and follow the teachings of the Bible, we're going to find ourselves enslaved to the sin of our lives both moral sin and spiritual sin, true freedom only comes when we listen to the word of God and we respond to it. This is how Jesus put it in John. I said it earlier, and I'm going to repeat it. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free this that's the key that's the key to a life lived by the word of god and acting upon what the bible says we have to rely on this divine initiative we 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 can't do it on our own because our own on our own we're trying to do with flesh so we must trust god to help us do it and he does that he sends us the holy spirit to help us walk in faith But we must listen to him. We must do what he tells us. We must be in his word. We must know his promises. We must rejoice in his divine power. But we have to root out all those things that cause us to fall. And then we will live a life of hope, a life of faith, and a life of love. A life that's truly free. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that we have the ability to be free. In this country, we have our freedoms. But, Lord, we we also know that spiritually we need to be free. Help us to walk in faith. Help us to know your promises and trust your promises in our lives. Help us to walk in a way that brings you glory. Walk in a way that we know that we are your children, children of faith, called by the Spirit. We praise you, Father, and we thank you, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comments section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.